Let's uh, open our Bibles to Psalm 116 tonight. We're opening up a new, shorter series. Not sure exactly how long we're going to go, but we're calling this series Favorites or Highlights in the Psalms. And that's just a friend of mine in ministry in the West Coast. He calls these preacher's delights when the preacher gets to preach what he wants to preach. <laughs> uh, so tonight we'll be in Psalm 116, but this, this uh, little series on Sunday nights uh, for a while will be highlights in the book of Psalms, the preachers, and we have several of them will preach their favorite Psalms and what means a lot to them. <clears throat> so I had planned on preaching uh, tonight Psalm 1 and had the outline and, and part of the manuscript written but with all that happened this week, uh, my, my focus changed to Psalm 116 for obvious reasons. So we'll read the entire psalm together, Psalm 16, I think that's page 8, eight something, 882 is it? Let me look. Uh, yeah, 882 in uh, the Pew Bible. But Psalm 16, uh, 116, beginning in verse 1, I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord. And righteous, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Returned my, oh my, return, O oh my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bounds, my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of the living and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we were reminded this week in a very visible and tangible way that there are no guarantees in this life. And as we say goodbye to our dear sister, Donna, tomorrow, we're reminded again that this could be the last sermon I preach, the last sermon someone in here ever hears. So let me preach as a dying man to a dying congregation your eternal words. Amen. Amen, amen. <clears throat> Over a hundred years ago, before the age of the internet, 
before the age of television, before the Second World War, when literature and theater were the extent of the entertainment culture, one man stood out as the most popular celebrity in the world. As a playwright between 1902 and 1933, he had less than, no less than 32 hit plays, with as many as four at a time being sold out every night in London's West End. His 36 novels and nearly 150 short stories broke nearly every literary record of the day. His name was William Somerset Maugham. The young Maugham was from a wealthy, nominal Christian home in Paris. He lost both of his parents by the age of 10. And when his fervent prayers to God to spare the life of his mother were not answered, at the raw age of 10, he swore off any belief in God and an afterlife. He said later in life, quote, If death ends all, and I have neither hope nor fear of evil at the end, I must ask myself, what am I here for, and what are the circumstances I must conduct myself decent in? Now the answer to one of these questions, he says, is plain, but is so unpalatable that most men will not face it. There simply is no reason for living, and life has no meaning. He goes on, it's incredible to me that there should be an afterlife. I find the notion of future punishment outrageous and future reward extravagant. When I die, I shall return to the earth I came from. The unknown psalmist in Psalm 116 directly addresses all of the above. This psalm is about life, it's about death, it's about answered and unanswered prayers. And we'll see this psalm tonight divided into two sections. Section 1, the rescue, in verses 1 through 8, or we could say what the Lord has done for the psalmist. And then secondly, the response or his response in verses 9 through 19, or what the psalmist vows that he will do in response to the Lord's deliverance. So let's look together at the rescue in verse 1. I love the Lord. What a way to begin. Do we actually talk that way anymore? You know, they call the generation before mine uh, the silent generation. The generation before that, the greatest generation. I think the boomers are the greatest generation, but that remains to you. Thank you for that. <laughs> but one of the characteristics of the silent generation, and I, I, I think it's true, knowing you know, my family and others, one of the characteristics of that silent generation is they had difficulty saying things like, I love you. Jesus says 
in both, when asked in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of all? And he says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. I love the Lord, the psalmist says. But quickly adding the qualifier, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. This beginning verse establishes the answered prayer of, verse, of chapter 116 of the Psalms. Right out of the gates, the psalmist pleads, plural, many times with the Lord for mercy. And he heard his pleas. He goes on in verse 2. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The assumption is uh, that he not only heard, but that he inclined his ear. He bent his ear toward the psalmist. He, he went down and turned his ear. The, the assumption is that he heard and answers the prayer. He answers him favorably. We don't know yet what this prayer is about, but we're about to find out in verses 3 and 4. He says, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. He says that, that death was in encompassing him. The, the, the picture is like a pack of wolves that have surrounded somebody. There's nowhere to go. Death has completely encompassed him. It surrounded him. And the pangs of, of Sheol, the grave, have laid hold on me. He is, as one commentator said, he is with one foot in the grave and one on a banana peel, about to tumble in. He is at death's door. Then he says in verse 4, or verse 3 rather, I suffered distress and anguish. He was in much distress and anguish and had nowhere to turn. So verse 4, then in the distress and the anguish, I called on the name of the Lord. And he says his prayer. And it's a good one. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. We, we can't miss that prayer. That's either going to be answered yes or no shortly. The psalmist is at death's door, suffering under deep distress and anguish. And he tells us exactly what he said to the Lord. A, a no-doubter. Look at it again. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And the context is immediately. I, you have to answer now. We don't often pray that way, do we? This is what is known as a foxhole prayer. You are in the foxhole. Mortars are, being, are landing all around you. If one lands on you, you're, you're, you are immediately dead. You can't run. You can't do anything but pray. It's a foxhole prayer. At prayer, and you're either going to live or you're not going to live. But we only pray foxhole prayers in the foxhole. 
with those mortar shells about. These prayers always include, and must include by their definition, anguish and distress. This is, oh God, intervene now, please. In our day and age, for better or for worse, our prayers are often secondary prayers. They're like this. Oh Lord, please end the trucker's strike so the grocery stores can be filled again. The foxhole prayer would be, make it rain or we're going to die. You see the difference between the secondary prayer. And those prayers are good prayers. It's what, it's what we are dealing with. But foxhole prayers are different. But even here at Redeemer, over the last month, we've had our share of foxhole praying. Think back not too many weeks ago. She's not breathing. Oh, God, make her breathe. As they took little Chloe from the bottom of the pool, unconscious. That's a foxhole prayer. Let her live. Give her life. Make her breathe, Lord. Tim told me that that was the most anguish, the most anguishing 10, 20 minutes he's ever had in his life. And I said, how are you doing now? And he said, you know, this was his answer. He didn't say, which is obvious he was, that they were so excited that Chloe was alive. And if you, if you didn't know, you could ask Carol. Many people just walked down the hall to look in to see her playing like nothing, like she's still the same, you know, uh, nutty Chloe, the same, the same one running around. And people just wanted to, to look in and, and see her. But Tim said, the Lord spared us unspeakable grief. That was a foxhole prayer. Were the cries of the Yates family and others heard by the Lord? Yes, they indeed were. Verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And the psalmist ends this first section of the rescue explaining the deliverance in verse 5 because it's more than sparing of his life. That is true, it was. But look at what he says. Gracious is the Lord and righteous our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. He says, when I was brought low, he saved me. Return my soul to your rest. The Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. What a rescue. Notice it was more than the psalmist's physical death. In thanksgiving, he says, you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. I, I cannot be the same, he is saying. My eyes, what I see, what I experience have changed. I'm no longer crying. My feet, where I go, what I do, can never be the same after such deliverance. Oh, listen, believer in Christ, 
We may not have been miraculously saved from drowning like little Chloe or, as many of you recall, rescued from life support like Terry Lytle was in that day. We hadn't been here very long. And if you don't know the story, I think she's writing a book about it. But this is your testimony. For you have delivered my soul from death also, Lord. My eyes and your eyes from tears. My feet and your feet from stumbling. For we had no hope. We were lost. We were undone. The reality of our sin was before us and what we deserved. And only by his sure and his sovereign grace can we say, he has delivered me. And just like the psalmist, he took the tears from your eyes and gave you clarity of sight. He set your feet on a path of devotion and service. And just like this psalmist, the rescue always comes with a response. Let's now look at the response of our psalmist. And we don't have time tonight, for, and I wish we did, for an exposition in detail of the amazing nuances that the psalmist brings us. These thanksgiving and vows in verses 9 through 19, they are splendid, and I ask you to spend some time with them yourself this week. And, you know, one of the things pastors love to do is to recommend books. And if you love the Psalms, which I'm sure you do, do yourself a favor and buy a copy of Spurgeon's Treasury of David and have it next to you when you read the Psalms as a companion when you're reading, as you study them and read them. And they are just absolutely amazing. And if you only have one book, one commentary on Psalms, that's the one to get. <clears throat> but glance with me very quickly at this second section, this response. Look at what we see. Look at the pattern. Verse 9, I will walk before the Lord. Verse 10, I believed. Verse 11, I said. Verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all these benefits? 13, I will lift up. 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord. 17, I will offer. 18, I will pay. And again, finally, just he ends 19. The only way he could do with all this, just praise the Lord. But let's just read the text of the psalmist's response together. For there's something in it we just, we, we can't miss. Verses 10 through 14 his gratitude and thanksgiving literally flow like water. He says in verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I'm alive now, and I will walk before you, my deliverer. Verse 10, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted because I was Lord. And then he even is a little self-deprecating here, and he says, and, and the word for alarm is really in my haste, in my anger, in my distress. He says, not to uh, ask for excuse, but he says, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. And we have to take from that 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 had something to do with the distressful situation that he was in. 
But he says, in my alarm, I said, I am, all mankind are liars. Verse 12, but because of this rescue, what shall I render to the Lord for all of these benefits to me? He literally says, Lord, you've you've raised me from sure death. What can I do to repay you? What can I do to render to you, Lord? And he simply says in 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. That's, That's the only response, isn't it? I will praise you. You are, I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will call on your name. And then he says, I, 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will not shut up. I will tell people about this deliverance. I will tell them about God in the presence of all of his people. I will pay my vows. I will be there every Sunday. I will, I will, uh, I will go on any committee. I will do any. I want to just live for the Lord, he is saying. Joy, joy, thanks, thanks. And he's not done. God has saved him in every possible way, answered his prayers. He's around all God's people. He's happy. He's delivered. He's grateful. And then there's a gap here that we physically can feel. He pauses. You know, Michael Card has a great line in his song, The Basin and the, and the Towel. He says, And the space between ourselves sometimes is more than the distance between the stars. When we have conflict with each other, sometimes that space between ourselves may be three physical feet But it's more than the distance between the stars. And sometimes it's only the Lord that can bridge that gap. This is the distance, brothers and sisters, between verses 14 and 15. Oh, on our pages, it's the same physical distance. But just think of what his mindset is, what the first 14 verses of this chapter have been. In the midst of... Of recording his overwhelming and rightful response and vows to the Lord. The thought for a moment that feels like forever is this What if the answer would have been no? What about others who have not had the same delivery that I've had? The healings that have not happened. The diagnosis that never changed. The surgeries that were not successful. And as almost to answer for the myriads of others that will come after him. The ones that are not in the midst of rejoicing, thanking, and vowing. The loved ones whose prayers for their own in the same circumstance deserving no more or no less deliverance than the psalmist received. The Lord, it's almost as if the Lord himself, continuing in his inspiration of this psalmist, ends this contemplative break by penning a sentence 
that will reverberate throughout the corridors of both time and eternity in the midst of explaining how he was delivered and what he's going to do, he pauses. And it's seemingly out of heaven. He says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It doesn't fit with what we're reading. For the untold millions who received different answers than the psalmist and the Yates, and the Lytle families, he's saying, I don't love you any less. I am still your good God. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The pause over the vows is over. And he finishes the psalm precious in the sight of the Lord of the death of his saints. And then he goes right back. Oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer you the sacrifice of the living and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people, in the courts of, his, of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. That's all the psalmist can say. By 1965, Somerset Maugham was 91 years old. He was one of the wealthiest men in Europe, living in a fabulous villa on the Mediterranean Sea. Despite the fact that he hadn't written a word in years and lived most of his life in total debauchery, his fame and popularity seemingly was on the upswing again. But his health was failing at 91. What had, had, what had, had this life brought to him? Mom's nephew, Robin Mom, visited his uncle Willie before he died. And it took him 13 years to write about the experience, and he finally did and published it in the London Times in April of 1978. And his nephew says this, I looked round the drawing room and at the immensely valuable furniture and pictures and objects that Willie's success had enabled him to acquire. Sitting in that fabulous Mansion at the Mediterranean, worth millions. Willie had, at the time of his death, had 11 servants, including one of the most famous cooks in all of Europe, Annette, who was the envy of all of the other millionaires and friends of mom on the Riviera. He dined on silver plates. He was waited on hand and foot by Marius, his butler, and Henri, his footman. But nothing seemed to matter to my uncle now. The following afternoon, I found Willie reclining on a sofa, peering through his spectacles at a Bible which I had given him with very large print. He looked horribly weazened and his face was grim. I've been reading the Bible you gave me. I've come across this quotation. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose 
his own soul. But I must tell you, child, dear Robin, that text used to hang opposite my bed when I was a child. Of course, it's nothing but bunk. But the thought is quite interesting all the same. Later that evening, in the drawing room after dinner, Willie flung himself down on the sofa. Oh, Robin, I'm so tired, I could go right now. And then he said these words, I have been a failure my whole life. I've made mistake after mistake. I've made a hash of everything I've tried. I tried to comfort him and said, you are the most popular writer in the world. Surely that means something, uncle. He said, I've, I wish I'd never written a single word. He answered, it's brought me nothing but misery. My whole life has been a failure, and now it's too late to change. I say it's too late. Willie looked up, and his grip tightened on my hand. He was staring at the floor, his face contoured with fear. And suddenly, he looked up and began to shriek. Go away, he cried. I'm not ready. I'm not dead. I tell you, I'm not dead yet. His high-pitched terror-struck voice seemed to echo from wall to wall. I looked around, but the room was empty. There's no one here, Uncle Willie. He then began to gasp. And he struck at the air hysterically. The text came from Lee a week ago, Friday. The tests from all of Donna's chemo were in. And they were not good. Gary Matlack and I went over to see her. Despite being tired, she was in really good spirits. We read John chapter 14. I got a slight look from Donna when I read from the King James that in my father's house are many mansions. It's rooms in the ESV, Donna, let me know. We prayed, Donna prayed in just an exquisite, sweet, touching prayer, and we left. It was much like the other times that we have visited, and I'm sorry that many of you didn't get a chance to visit. Lee was so protective of her. It was really, for, all of the, for the better part of a year, it was only communion that Lee would let anybody see Donna. <clears throat> there, was, there was just one thing different about this last visit. There was a resolve. There was an understanding that they truly had done all that they could do earthly, and scientific for Donna. As the psalmist, hundreds were praying for a similar deliverance for our sister. The Lord had other plans. Donna quickly got worse through the weekend. She had to be taken to the hospital. I, on Sunday late afternoon, I got a goofy personal avatar text from Donna. Uh, it was like an avatar that looked like her. You know how those avatars kind of look like you. You can kind of see it. And the avatar is going like this. Yippee. 
She said, yippee, I'm in Medical City, Dallas, room 1220. <laughs> I texted back, a wonderful Lord's Day at Redeemer today. This is last Sunday night. We missed you. She would not return that text. And she wouldn't leave room 1220. Over the next 30 plus hours, surrounded by her family, closest friends, we hugged, we sang, we read scripture, we laughed, we cried, we watched the monitors as her earthly body gave way to this disease. But she hung on. She would come out just enough to say weak amens as we were reading scripture or a raised eyebrow now and then. One time Lee bent down to her and said, Donna, can you hear what we're saying and what we're praying? And Donna kind of moved her head and said, absolutely everything, she said. We left the family on Tuesday to get lunch for everyone. And as we had been praying and, and asking her to do, she slipped into the presence of the Lord for her reward at 128 that morning, that afternoon. Sometimes, as we have seen here, the psalmist, uh, and the psalmist relates to us in Psalm 116, there is deliverance. Sometimes there's a temporary reprieve. But the psalmist eventually was in the same position our friend Donna was. He too had final words. They weren't to come right then. He was delivered, but they indeed came. And brothers and sisters, there are no fakers on a deathbed. You can fake a lot of things, but you cannot fake peace, comfort, and assurance in the Lord when you don't have it. You've heard testimonies tonight from a delivery from death by a psalmist and the last words of a sinner and a saint, what will your death be like, Redeemer? Do you know Christ tonight? Young people, you will think death is so far in the future, you won't even think about it. But make no mistake, you, tonight, are one day closer to that day than you were yesterday. Is Christ, as it says in the Heidelberg Catechism, your only comfort in life and death? Whether you think about death as rapidly approaching like I find myself doing many times, or if you shrug it off, again, it's one day closer Today, Jordan will be flying back for Donna's celebration service tomorrow. And you know, I've heard him say in pastoral theology class and many times these words that the role of a pastor is primarily to prepare his people to die well in the Lord. If that's the case, I would say to all of Donna 
and then Donna and Lee's pastor in the Church of Jesus Christ. Mission accomplished. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, one day we will be at death's door. Our deaths may happen quickly. They may be lingering. They may be accidents. They may be of natural causes. But one day we will be with you. And Lord, we did not have time to, to, to get to the depths of what is said. But Lord, we know that precious, valuable to you are not just us. But our deaths are precious to you. And our deaths of his saints, of your saints, that is precious to you. And as Donna did this week, we will close our eyes in death and open them in glory. Help us prepare for that day. Help us even uh, tomorrow as we sing these songs and we have a joyous celebration and it will be. Lord, help us to know that this, for all of us, is just a vapor that's passing away. We do pray for safe travel for Jordan and we pray for Lee and the family as they gather. And Lord, again, we are so grateful that we know you. And that despite everything that happens, we can call out to you and you will answer prayer. And sometimes you won't answer it, but Lord, you will be praised, as the psalmist says. Help us to do that is our joint prayer tonight. Amen and amen.